1961, New York Yankees slugger Roger Maris set the major league record for the most home runs in a baseball season, 61 total. Here's The Call by Red Barber, WPIX-TV, on October 1st, 1961. They want to see Maris uh, get something he can swing on. There it is. That was a record that stood untouched for nearly four decades. Fast forward to the summer of 1998. Two behemoth-sized athletes, partly artificially enhanced, took all of America on a fun ride. Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa went toe-to-toe, hitting tape measure home runs all season. It became the first two players in a long time on track to surpass Maris's record. National newspapers had an ongoing Sosa versus McGuire home run tally every day in the corner of the front page. ESPN could have been airing a boxing match or NASCAR or a tennis tournament, but, and it seems so strange, but this was true, they would regularly break into their coverage of whatever so they could show the live at-bat by McGuire or Sosa, no matter where or when they were playing. Now, in early September, McGuire started to edge out Sosa in long balls. And on September 7th, 1998, McGuire hit his 61st home run of the season, tying the all-time record. My older brother Mike and I had a hunch. It's going to happen tomorrow. McGuire is going to break the record tomorrow. And we want to be there. And to make it even more interesting, they'd be playing our hometown team, the Cubs, led by Sammy Sosa. We had to be there. The next day, we took off work. We hopped in the car. We drove five hours from Chicago to St. Louis just for the chance to be in the building when it happens. Now, of course, the game was sold out. And we did not have tickets, but that was just a trivial detail we would worry about later. When we arrived at Bush Stadium, we realized we were not the only ones who wanted to be inside. Secondhand tickets were selling for over $1,000 each. And if you remember from the Roger Maris home run call, there was a $5,000 bounty for that home run ball. Well... This time, there was a $1 million bounty offered for the record-breaking ball. We walked around the neighborhood looking for tickets for over three hours. I carried a video camera around all day. So, yes, you get to hear what happened next live from 1998. Batting practice has started, some cheers have gone on, and uh, still no luck. It's about 5.30 now. Still waiting to get in. 
Dave, yes. tell me what's happening. We are going inside. <laughs> we got the tickets. <laughs> yeah. Whoopee! Section Woo! one. Section one. Section well, one. Yeah, right yeah, 131, right by the 13 rows back. Down the third baseline. Everyone thinks I'm a Cardinals fan, but check out the C. No, sorry. Any extra tickets? Are you kidding? No way. Hey, hey. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. They're cheering the Chicago fans, ladies All and gentlemen. Right. Go Cubbies! Go Cubbies! Woo! We can finally be outspoken Cubs fans out of your tickets. Wait, what time is it? We got. I said 5:30. We didn't have tickets. Okay, 5:30. We did not have tickets. I snagged two tickets, 100 bucks a piece, and right at 6.05. 6.05. Game 620 starts at right 7.10. We got about a half hour. We got about a half time. hour to the game time. Right. We're rocking Luckily, and rolling. We're, only a block away, we're taking so. our mitts. We're taking inside our mitts, you'll see king size Snicker bars. We're smuggling it all into the park, just like we do back in Chi Town. Woo! Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is crazy. Woo! Craziness. <laughs> The mobs. We weren't in home run territory, but we were in the building. The thing we were there for wasn't even guaranteed to happen. You can't just manufacture a home run. But in the fourth inning, on September 8th, 1998, Mark McGuire knocked a line drive that barely cleared the left field wall, and just like that, history was made. Down the left field line, is it enough? Gone! There it is! 62! Touch first, Mark! You are the new single-season home run king! You don't believe me that it took America by storm? 43.1 million people tuned into the game that night on TV. 43.1 million. But there was nothing, I mean nothing, that could replace being there in person. only give you a taste of what I experienced. Unfortunately, I wasn't rolling my video camera when he hit the home run. Just joking. Of course I was rolling. Roll the footage.
didn't matter what team or which slugger you were rooting for, it was history. And it was sheer pandemonium. Over 43 million people watched that home run live, but only one-tenth of one percent of those people were in the building to see it happen firsthand. And I was one of them. Have you ever been in that situation? Have you ever wished you could be in the building? Or have you ever wished to be a fly on the wall when an important decision was made? On this podcast, we don't just report that there was a closed door meeting, we bust down the door so that you can be in the room. We share the untold story of all the decisions, arguments, partnerships, swerves, and drama that happens during the making of an album. All the stuff that makes a release date a reality. From UTR Media, I'm Dave Trout, and this is Release Date. Just over two decades ago, in 1997, chart-topping Christian recording artist Rich Mullins died in an automobile accident at the age of 41. His songs, but maybe even more so his life and his deep pursuit of an authentic walk with God, has left a legacy that has impacted thousands of people around the globe. In 2016, I had the mustard seed of an idea to spearhead a Rich Mullins tribute album, This idea started to take a few potential shapes, but the overall vision for the project has remained the same. Not so much a celebration of Rich's musical peers, but rather a desire to have new voices from today's generation share some of Rich's songs to audiences that might need to discover or rediscover this wonderful songwriting. Last episode, we took you inside the room for the first big meeting that helped to form a team that could take this baby idea I had and help it grow wings thanks to the talents of these fine chaps. Now, after that summer 2017 meeting, things went quiet for quite a while. Of course, that September was the 20th anniversary of Rich's passing, so Rich-related stuff was happening, but not directly connected to this album. Like in August, at UTR Media's annual retreat Escape to the Lake, I helped to organize a Rich tribute concert that featured Jimmy Abag, Andrew Greer, Sarah Hart, Jess Ray, Andy Gullihorn, Jill Phillips, and several others. And that full concert is actually on YouTube right now. In early September, Andrew Greer's book, through worthy publishers, Winds of Heaven, Stuff of Earth, was released. In late September... Andrew Peterson put on an amazing tribute concert at the Ryman, which included Andy Osenga, Brandon Heath, Mitch McVicker, Jeremy Casella, many others, and a special cameo from Reed Arvin. We were all pretty involved in rich tribute pieces, and there seemed to be a collective sigh from the community members once we got past September. And not like a, phew, got that over with, but more like a, ah, That was good. And like the spiritual side of the Sabbath, it felt okay to put this other album project on the shelf for a season. 
Now, the problem with putting things on the shelf is that they are sometimes hard to take off the shelf. To help us avoid that, Andrew Greer talked to each person during this downtime and gave everyone official roles. Mr. Greer would serve as executive producer and really focus on being the glue for all the moving parts. Andy Osenga would serve as the producer and would be the main guide for the musical tapestry of the record. Reed Arvin would serve as co-producer and would really be the true conscience of the album. Jason Gray would A&R the record. For non-industry folks, A&R stands for Artist and Repertoire and basically oversees the artist's involvement in a project. Andrew Peterson would be the creative director and would offer insight and guidance on the community aspect of this tribute. Looking back at this small idea that I had and now seeing this team of five amazing names, it's really mind-blowing. At least the potential for something special is there. Something way beyond my original vision for this project. Now, I'm not in the record-making business, so I have no right to be a part of this process. However, I don't want this project to grow beyond me to the point where UTR Media is kicked to the curb. In some ways, I still feel like that 22-year-old kid trying to buy scalp tickets to Bush Stadium. I have a sense that something important and historical is being made. And I want to be in the building. So for pretty much all of fall 2017, there was mostly radio silence from the team. The tribute project sat on the shelf. But that was expected because fall would be a difficult time to pull off a recording like this. In fact, at that summer meeting, the time frame thrown around was a possible January 2018 recording time. But January came and went, and the project stayed on the shelf. The two Andrews at the helm, Greer and Osenga, even had to ask the big questions— Like, do we bother to continue? Do we take this project off the shelf at all? And if we do, how in the world are we going to find the funding to make it happen? Coming up next, I talked to Andrew Greer in February 2018 to get a full update on where the tribute sits. And we even tackle a difficult and vulnerable question. If this project gets made, what do I want out of it? What are the expectations for UTR? UTR Media Production is sponsored by the latest release by Ufala. Between the Hills by Ufala was reviewed by Jesus Freak Hideout as a terrific album with gorgeous melodies.
Between the Hills is available now at iTunes, Amazon, and youfollowmusic.com. It's an indie music lover's dream getaway. Join us for UTR Media's flagship event, Escape to the Lake 2018, coming this July to Cedar Lake, Indiana. It's a time to be spiritually, emotionally, and musically refreshed. We'll have bonfires, devotions, small group lessons, live podcasts, a music game show, and live concerts from folks like Andrew Osanga, Jess Ray, Nick Flora, Wild Harbors, and nearly a dozen other artists. Find all the details and register online at escapetothelake.net. After the big meeting in late June 2017, not much happened at all with the Rich Mullins tribute for the following eight months. As we get into February 2018, I connected with Andrew Greer on the phone to find out if we're going to move forward and how we're going to move forward with this tribute. Yeah, it's kind of the same message that's been repeated throughout this, which is uh, kind of putting us back at square one to some degree. Uh, We've known for months that there's no necessary label interested because it's such a short window. Uh, was such a short window around the 20th anniversary and then a, even a limited audience uh, on that. It wasn't that they weren't interested in the content, just didn't really feel like it had a sales life, uh, which I think is totally understandable. So uh, it's really just been a matter of too busy. Uh, I think Andrew Peterson, Jason Gray, myself, Reed Arvin, and Andrew Osenga have all just been too busy. The fall is probably, for me at least, the busiest time I've ever experienced in my life. And so there's just no time for projects that aren't funded because obviously at the end of the day, we all need to feed ourselves and our families. Um, so it's not as much a aversion to the project and what it stands for and what it could be as much as where do you allot time for something that doesn't have the ability to compensate anyone for it. Uh, passion projects, right? And so passion projects only have we only have so much room for passion projects. And I would say each of us, individually, the five of us have a plethora of passion projects that we find ourselves getting into that probably take precedence for one reason or another. There is a benefit to this being a, quote, passion project. Uh, usually it means people are willing to help out for dirt cheap or do favors or just lend some support to help make something come to life that they truly believe in. Um, However, the flip side of that is it usually takes more time because you have to work around people's paid obligations. You have to keep the timetable of a passion project quite loose. And that's a lesson I was learning right now. I knew that at the time of this phone call, Andrew Greer had just had a meeting with Andy Osenga a few weeks prior to, to really talk about if there was a future to this project. So Andrew Osenga and I met to kind of catch up about this, just to basically say, is there life to this? Is there not life to this? Um, either one's okay. It's okay just to not do this. Uh, it's okay for this to find a format, maybe from a UTR perspective, that's just originally what it was going to be—a really, you know, clean, acoustic, rich kind of tribute album that has a UTR audience, maybe life, but not really have to worry about just things that are needed to 
you know, give it kind of this fuller studio recording release, which would be totally fine because, you know, some of our favorite records are kind of B-sides records or acoustic sessions records or things like that. So I think, you know, saying and I needed to just decide between me and him, since I'm executive producer and he's essentially producing, he is the producer, you know, and we're kind of the ones that if it's going to happen, we need to mantle it on ourselves and make it happen. So by the end of it, you know, it was, we decided we, we should do it if we could do it. And the way to do that is just to let Osanga spearhead it from a sense of production, like not worry about all the co-producer credits and trying to let, give everyone a perfect creative angle. But what we know is that Andrew out of all of us has the time in the space as far as from a studio perspective, because that's where he's spending his time is in his studio space. So, but I think because of what Rich and his legacy means to each of us, I would say especially to Andrew Osanga and to Andrew Peterson, I think because of AP and Osanga, I think they just really want to see this happen. Um, Reed Arvin also surprisingly just really loves it. I mean, he's not going to make it happen on his own, but he loves the idea that he loves being in on it. He loves just being there for it. And of course, what an amazing story to have Rich's really only producer um, there with us um, for this. So that's anyway. So we felt like the yeah. story was so strong, you know? So it felt like the big questions were being addressed and that, yes, we wanted to move forward on this project, which then allows us to ask the smaller questions about some of the fine details and some of the mechanics of how things will play out. So what do we do with that? We decided, um, Osang and I decided to email five, the Reed, AP, Jason, me and Osanga, just to say, here's what we're thinking. I'll help get this moving as I can whenever, but Osanga is committed to, you know, building the windows out and doing this. We just have to have funding. We have to have more funding. We, we have to, to make the record that Osanga would really want to make or any of us really honestly would want to make. And I think that benefits you the most as well. Just a studio recording with multi-artists and and having a beautiful aesthetic trailer and, and kind of documentary to go with it and all the things that would let it live in posterity, not just be for the moment, um, which then allows us to go way far outside the window of this, the 20th anniversary of Rich's death, which of course we're in that window of time now and probably going to release this outside of that window. So, we think the posterity gives it that. And we also, I think, saying and AP were kind of like, you know, the audience is maybe there, which I think you've always felt like and known. But I think that Ryman show sold out and had people flying from all over the country to be a part of it. So that's not a small expense for a lot of people. I think that told us a lot about there's a core audience there that's even a little more expansive than we had first anticipated. Now, knowing that there's a market out there is really important. However, still doesn't address the issue of getting to the finish line of funding the making of this album. You know, we were trying to stay away from crowdsourcing. In fact, when we met last summer that you were on the phone, you know, while we were meeting, we kind of all just put away, put that aside. Let's figure it out outside of that. I think because those guys, especially, well, I'll say AP and Osanga have done a lot of crowdfunding. Of course, you have had a good deal of experience with that and really being who you are and being a nonprofit, your life is fundraising, you know. So, 
Yeah. Um, so I know you have been shy for your own reasons, good reasons as well. I have never done crowdsourcing and yeah. have always been really intimidated by it and really shy of it. I've intimidated by like, it just feels like a lot of work in a way I don't really feel drawn to. And then it also feels like I like for a record to have life after the release and crowdsourcing a bit for the life into it before the release. Yeah. So it's just a different approach. Now you can tell this is just the setup of all the reasons why we don't want to do crowdsourcing, right? But you can feel it. There's a big but coming. I think what Osang and I have come to discover is it's the only way to do it. <laughs> but <laughs> it's also not a bad way because I think it's, and I'm going off saying on this, but that it's, he's just confident it's a really easy way. It's not a huge amount of money, but that people are waiting to give us. You know what I mean? So yeah. can we capitalize off that? And in the meantime, look at tiers that aren't real petty and that they're not real scattered, like kind of the pledge music can be. This will be a Kickstarter uh, because we think there's energy in that and meeting the goal and then having some stretch goals. But can we have some tiers that are really, really fascinating, not only to people, but to us, which you wouldn't do if it was just funded. Because why would you do it? I'm all in now. I'm sold. You know, I know you're still thinking about it, but I am. And I was also starting to be won over. I was turning the corner. I think crowdsourcing may be the best route to help fund this project. So then ask the question, what are we making? What does this end up supporting? And it's fun to kind of begin to dream about this project taking shape. Um, what we've kind of come up with is the actual record, a 10 to 12 track studio recording, you know, um, yeah. and then a deep cuts record that gets to explore some of those songs that maybe can't make that other one, explore some artists that maybe wouldn't make that other one, and it'd be more acoustic-minded, uh, very acoustic-minded, yeah. actually. May even be people occasionally sending in tracks, you know, when they can or when that, they're capable, and that being totally okay. Um, so having this real cohesive, beautiful kind of studio recording, rich, worthy record that is the flagship, but then having the deep cuts that helps put a little bit of not, we're thinking not as a stretch goal, but like as kind of a two disc set, um, because that doesn't cost that much more money to manufacture at all. And it gives just a lot of good content. This is pretty big news. This is like the first time that we've, really charted out exactly what the finished product would look like, maybe even sound like. This is getting exciting. We ideated a bit about some of the cool things that could flow out of a crowdsourcing campaign, like a documentary and uh, some cool art pieces, uh, maybe even a, a special trip to Nashville for a unique Rich Mullins concert experience, but still the nuts and bolts of exactly what we can and will offer is still to be determined. There was still this elephant in the room and it had to do with what do I want out of this? What does UTR media expect or want out of the results of this project? There's obviously the question of, well, how does that serve me speaking from a UTR perspective? Um, because if people are buying it to fund the actual ranking of the record, you know, how does that, you know, uh, yeah. help you in the end? 
And so I think that's the, I think that's the main puzzle piece that probably, the idea is that in early March, we would have some kind of meeting where you either join us by Skype or phone or join us in person if you can um, at the art house where the five of us plus you and whatever medium you can sit down, review the Kickstarter, review what we want the project to be, some songs, artists, pay attention to all those elements so that we can really launch the Kickstarter well, which what's going on in your head? Yeah. I, no, I think it sounds good. I, I'm definitely willing to throw my support and any kind of influence that I can behind, you know, that effort. So, yeah, um, because, I mean, I think it's received. However, however you feel comfortable and, and appropriate, I think it's more than received. What What do you feel like on the back end? Like, what do you feel like are some expectations you might have or need to have? You know, like just things we can't answer or really anticipate without you telling us because we just don't know, you know, and we don't want to ignore that or not ignore it, but we don't want to, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Shimmy past that without thoughtfulness and yeah, you know, and that I'm in some ways going to skirt the question, um, <laughs> but but in a in a positive way, just to say like, you know, I, I really don't want to put any sort of expectation or, I mean, I think that I think that there's a general understanding that in the same way that you know, you and Andy have invested a lot of time and energy into this. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel invested as well, mm-hmm. and and I'm not I'm not necessarily trying to monetize that, but but at the same time, I I think I think um, it would be nice if this project could help UTR in some capacity. Like, mm-hmm. I think that if there's like, oh, wow, this was able to, you know, help fund a certain project that UTR could go do now or whatever. And and, I'm, and I, I don't even, there's no specific dollar amount that I feel like we have to, we have to have a return on or that's just, that's just not the motive behind it. So mm-hmm. um, I think you'll just have to assert yourself. Uh, as you can and will do. I mean, one, I think it's great that you're on both Osenga and my minds and all of that. Yeah. Because yeah. We aren't going to, you know, like actually it was Osenga who was like, Dave needs to be included in the, we need to make sure Dave, you know, knows when we schedule that meeting and even if he could be here in person and kind of stuff, which by the way, we're looking at just kind of the beginning of March, beginning to mid March, because that's when Reed gets back and, Looking at just, uh, I think Jason Gray had thrown out a Monday, March 12th or something. So I know it might be really hard for you to get here, but even if you could just, you know, be, if we could find a way for you to be free and, and make sure that works in your schedule, uh, to be around and, and, you know, um, yeah, and it, it might work from, I mean, it's actually not, not too difficult for me to, to get, you know, down there. So okay. I think that that's a, that's a definitely a, a realistic possibility. Okay. So um, now I'm kind of playing it cool and calm at this point, but this invitation right there to this next meeting at Art House in Nashville came at 
a great time in the midst of this conversation as we're talking about what does UTR want? What do I want out of this partnership, out of this project that we're that we're a part of? Because really when push comes to shove, yes, there's there's some branding and exposure elements to it that are helpful to our organization. There may be even some revenue possibilities that are helpful to the organization. But at the end of the day, I'm kind of like Aaron Burr. I just want to be involved. I want a seat at the table. I, I want to be in the room where it happens, the room where it happens. I want to be in the room where it happens, the room where it happens. I want to be in the room where it happens. I want to be in the room where it happens. What they trade away. We dream of a brand new star. But we dream in the dark for the most part. Dark as a tomb where it happens. I've got to be in the room. I've got to be. I'm hoping that there will be a lot of ways that your team will look back and say, oh wow, I'm, I'm really glad that UCR was involved because this or that happened in a way that I didn't expect or. Mm-hmm. Or some of their audience really came through in a way that surprised us. That's my yeah. hope is that it's like we're not just a you know a name on the back of the CD, but like that there's a felt energy to what our organization and what myself personally and what our you know listeners and audience can bring to the project. So that's my yeah. hope. I am not quite either creative enough or understanding enough of your situation to be able to assert myself for you because I don't right. really know. Like, so is this all about intangible benefits, like loving the investment and loving being a part of it? You know, you're you're one of the teammates, but I want you to be able to. I think your presence helps us feel like your interests are involved. These were all really great conversations to have, and it was wonderful to see things take shape and okay to let some things kind of dangle as loose ends that we'll figure out down the road. So what about the process of making the album? Uh, We originally talked about having a January recording date, which now has obviously come and gone. So is there a new plan? And then record it in the summer for a fallish. You know, we, I was saying things realistically, we're talking like a November, December release, but we have the kind of steadfast goal of this year for sure. Um, I think it could potentially be a little sooner. That's where we're at. It feels good. It feels whole. It feels smooth. I think the deep cuts, the fact that that's going to be a part of the record, I think that gives a chance for, I think all the artists, are UTR artists in their own way, you know what I mean? Because right. your roster is so expansive. So I see most of them that end up on the main record as very prime, well-known UTRs as well. 
But allow some of the ones that you have kind of been advocating for being a part. Yeah. Um, I think the deep cuts allows for that, you know? Um, yeah. In a really easy way and in a really good way. to a year and a half ago and I had this little germ of an idea for a Rich Mullins tribute album and I remember just being so personally offended that Andrew Peterson wanted to put a wet blanket on that and stop the endeavor before it even began but truth be told I look now at all the work and all the hurdles that have gone into just getting it to this point and I realize AP was right. I can't duct tape together a Rich Mullins tribute project on my own. I need to surround myself with the right people to make something like this happen. I don't even deserve a seat at the table. But I am still the same guy as I was 20 years ago who didn't deserve to be inside Bush Stadium. You just sometimes have to put yourself in the right place at the right time. Well, um, I'll talk soon to you because I will send you um, kind of whatever we figure out. Yeah. Um, seems like a good date range for us and then see what that looks like for you. And then we'll just go yeah. from there. So, And we'll just keep everything... Um, we'll just keep talking and be mindful and figure it all out as it goes. On the next episode of Release Date... That meeting in Nashville does take place in March, and I get to be in the room where it happens. Release Date is hosted and produced by me, Dave Trout. Archival footage from Fox Sports and WPIX-TV. Special thanks to Andrew Greer, my brother Mike Trout, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the Blue Island Public Library Tech Annex, the grandpa who sold us the two tickets to the Cardinals game in 1998 for only $200, and to the guy outside the stadium who bought our pair of used ticket stubs for $80. Thank you. Of course, we couldn't be here at all without the generous support of UTR's support team. If you'd like more info on how you can invest in this 501c3 nonprofit ministry, you can go to utrmedia.org. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again on the next episode of Release Date.